Hey, what's up? Ray Woodson back with you. We made it across the California border. No contraband this time that we know of. Anyway, pitchers and catchers report in three weeks. Actually, pitchers and catchers reported this week to Giants Fantasy Camp at Scottsdale Stadium with several former Giants as coaches, and we talked to a few of them on Tuesday, and you will hear the first two of those interviews coming up. The Hall of Fame vote is in. Mariano Rivera is the first unanimous selection ever. My guess is he won't be the last. Sure, he's a no-brainer, but I heard a, a national radio reporter say on my drive back that the writers finally got it right. Well, writers can vote for whomever they want, and they may have their reasons for omitting a player that they know will get in, including giving the vote to another deserving player on a crowded ballot, but perhaps they perceived the ballot was not as crowded this year, and Rivera does get the unanimous nod. It didn't hurt Rivera that he was a Yankee. Also didn't hurt that, uh, if not the greatest reliever of all time, he was one of the greatest. Didn't hurt Mike Mussina, a Yankee for part of his career. A career of excellence, to be sure, that, that ended with a 29 season. His last season, he was 29 with a 3.37 ERA, and he ended up with 270 wins. And it's possible that no future Hall of Fame pitcher will reach that career wins total. Edgar Martinez, two-time batting champion, a 9.33 career OPS, was uh, mostly a designated hitter, but was a premier hitter for a decade and had a career OPS plus of 147. That's 42nd all-time. That's the same career OPS plus as Willie McCovey, Mike Schmidt, Willie Stargell, Jim Tomey, and old-timer Sam Thompson. All of those players, Hall of Famers. Martinez is just one of six players uh, after World War II who retired with a career batting average above 300, on-base percentage above 400, and slugging percentage above 500. The late Roy Halladay also gets in, which brings both joy and sorrow. A great career, but an early death as he crashed his Icon A5 plane in the Gulf of Mexico in 2017. I remember pitcher Brandon McCarthy's quote, Roy Halladay was your favorite player's favorite player. That's how respected he was. An eight-time All-Star who was dominant for a decade, Here's a stat you probably won't hear anymore either. 61 complete games between 2003 and 2011, double that of the nearest uh, contender, C.C. Sabathia, who had 30 during that period. Halliday, Martinez, Musina, and Rivera joined Harold Baines and Lee Smith, chosen by the Today's Game Era Committee for induction this July in Cooperstown. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are inching up, but still far away from the 75% threshold at 59%. They should be in. That's my opinion. Other writers have decent reasons for why they think those players should not be in. This is one of those where you're not crazy to share your opinion one way or the other. But uh, in my mind, uh, the hall is not complete without uh, telling the story of two of the greatest players, if not the greatest players of their positions, uh, in the era of the 1990s to the early 2000s. Fred McGriff jumped up to 39%, but he's going to drop off the ballot now. He goes to the Veterans Committee, and I would not be surprised if they do vote him in down the road. There is a player out there who hit two home runs against Hall of Famer Roy Halladay in Game 1 of the 2010 NLCS, and he is our first guest on Triples Alley Report, Cody Ross. All right, just hanging out in the sun here at Scottsdale Stadium 
in the middle of the of January, as a matter of fact, as we've got the Giants Fantasy Camp going on and uh, hanging out now with uh, Cody Ross, who's a special guest here at the Fantasy Camp. And everybody has great mem- memories of 2010. I know you especially. God, that seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? It is. It's, um, you know, for me, it actually seems like yesterday, but... Um, you know, just because some of those memories I'll just I'll cherish and I'll never forget. But, um, yeah, and I'm going on 10 years next year, which is wow. crazy to think about. What, what have you been doing lately? <clears throat> you know, I, I have three kids, so um, I chase them around um, to all their sports. I coach um, two of my boys' baseball teams and, mm-hmm. um, you know, pl- try to play as much golf as I can in between yes. that. <laughs> How old are your kids? I have a 12-year-old boy, um, a nine-year-old little girl and a four-year-old boy that just started t-ball nice nice now i mean it's it's great for him if he's playing ball have a major league player as a dad but you know i've actually uh, my son has had teammates who were sons of major league players and that's a two-edged sword isn't it It, it's like you you get the, the the wealth of knowledge but people expect things from them absolutely you know you're exactly right it's uh it's it's a little tough just because i think the parents expect um, you to teach their kid how to be a major leaguer, and yeah. and it's the ac- actually the way most major league ball ex major league ball players teach is just to go out and just have fun and enjoy it, and don't worry about all the other little stuff. Um, just the main thing: go in, have fun, and and uh, make sure the kids are enjoying their time out there and, and not putting too much pressure on them. That's the key. That's the key. And I think it's the, the players who've been through all that who understand that Absolutely. probably better than anybody else. You see the parents who haven't been through that, and they get a little intense, yeah, don't they? A, a little bit. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's pretty funny, actually, to sit there and watch some of the parents and see them, you know, with their eight- and nine-year-old kids, like, putting taking them to, you know, hitting lessons three times a week because – I just tell people that's just not going to – it's really not going to help. No. It's not going to help. Just yeah. let them have fun, go out there and, you know, look for butterflies and pick weeds. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, hopefully they're excited about the the uh, the snack after the game and, and they can't wait to come back for the next week for the next snack. <laughs> I've I talked to a lot of former ball players about this, about how intense it is now where you've got January to practically Christmas baseball for these kids. <laughs> And a lot of these guys say, let them play whatever they want. You know, the talent will come out. Yeah, you know, we have just had this conversation the other day, actually. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that every, nowadays it's too many kids getting specialized on different things. And, um, you know, I'm from the school of play as many sports as you can, and that's how you become athletic. And, you um, you know, once a kid hits puberty, and you, that's when you really know what what they really have. Um, so when you start just playing just one sport when you're, you know, pre-teen, you're just really setting them up for failure. Yeah. Um, you know, every once in a while you might get a kid that, you know, really strives and, you know, goes forward. But for the most part, they're either going to get, number one, burnt out, mm-hmm. or two, hurt, or, or three, um, just never really make it because their athleticism really never came out. Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of that burnt out, <clears throat> definitely. Um, so people in the background can hear the PA announcer and the ball hitting bat and so forth, and we've got the fantasy camp going on. And this is kind of a cool deal every year for, for people who kind of relive their childhood a little bit. It really is. You know, it's, a, it's really a neat deal that they do um, every year. You know, I encourage people to come out and, and try it. 
Um, you're really not going to make a fool out of yourself because there's uh, about a hundred fools out here right now playing. <laughs> so you're going to be just fine. Um, you'll blend. <laughs> you'll blend right in. But um, no, it's it's a great deal. These guys have as, as much fun as um, they could possibly have. Like you said, li- reliving a little dream. And mm-hmm. you know, if anything, it makes you realize how difficult it is to play this game and um, perform at a high level like um, you know these guys do now it's uh, it's pretty incredible but you know these uh, they're, they're enjoying it and it's fun to watch so you kind of seen both sides of the coin now I mean when you were a major league player there was so much scrutiny I mean you, I guess you have to learn how to tune that out if if it's negative <clears throat> and of course you take the adulation and accept it but uh, you know that's kind of a fine line you walk mentally it is you know um, I can see now because I've been out of the game for three years how fans when they watch it on TV and and uh, or from the stands can you know get a little upset at some time at sometimes but um, you know there's a I just got to keep reminding myself how hard this game is and and um, you know there's a that's a that's one of the things about being a coach um, you know I did a little coaching a couple years ago with the Giants and you you that's the number one thing as a coach. You can never really forget how hard this game is. You know, it's easy to sit over there on the bench and second guess and question um, certain things that guys do. But at the end of the day, um, you have to remember how hard it is and how little of time you have to make a decision and, uh, you know, keep that in mind. This is something that I, I, I repeated several times is that the guys you see now, every single one of these guys in the major leagues, is a phenomenal player. D1 players are really, really good players. You know, semi-pro players are really, really good players, and then you get to the lower levels of the minors. These these are the top one-half of 1% of anybody who plays baseball. Yes, absolutely, and <clears throat> that's, a, that's an excellent point. I mean, there's so many guys that I played with, even in the minor leagues, or that I saw that had way more potential than I did mm-hmm. and never got a chance and never made it or got hurt. And so, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with a lot of, you know, you have to have the skill level and, you know, you have to be, like you said, the elite of the elite, um, the, the, the half percenter. But at the same time, you have to be a little lucky and, and be at the right place at the right time and stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so when it's hard to criticize guys when they are they do make a bad mistake because you know this is the best of the best and even though they're making it look really easy it's really not yeah and i and i think having played the game it 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 helps to sort of critique okay i'll give you a situation i mean you had a play in right field at AT at&t where a ball just took off on you right and i have had that happen to me and i think a lot of people have played have happened you know it's it's just one of those things, and people criticize for it. And I just said, "Well, wait a minute. You know, that that was a ball that he couldn't have caught if he was Shaq on a ladder." <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot of times in your in guys' careers where stuff like that will happen, yeah. and, and uh, you know, whether you misread a ball, um, similar to like that one. Like I think I think I remember exactly the ball you're talking about. I think I took a step in because I thought it was going to be a line drive mm-hmm. right at me, and it just kept rising and going, and it just kind of make yourself look like a fool a little bit but you just as as a normal regular person you really don't understand how hard that is to yeah. to make a play like that or you see Brandon Crawford 
um, well, he doesn't really make a whole lot of mistakes, no. but it was a bad example. <laughs> but going in the hole and um, backhand a ball and then kind of throw it offline a little bit. I mean, really, he doesn't do that. But um, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Just right, like right. just certain instances where, you know, guys uh, make a little mistake that and to the regular eye looks so bad, but it's so difficult to do. I have seen Brandon Crawford make a mistake. I actually <laughs> have one. seen it one Maybe or two. One. <laughs> yeah, it's like a unicorn. Yeah. Um, so we're chatting with Cody Ross here, and Cody's probably thinking, crying out loud, it was NLCS MVP, and you bring up a play where a <laughs> ball goes over my head. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's rewind a little bit. In the circumstances that got you there, I think it was the Giants were blocking the Padres from getting you, and things happened from there. Yeah, that was, um, that was the rumor. The yeah. rumor was that... Um, the Giants were blocking me because I think uh, was it uh, I can't remember who went down in the outfield for the Padres maybe Dave Roberts or whoever it was. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anyways, um, uh, it came around and Giants claim me and I knew it, it leaked that that the Giants claim me because you're not supposed to know that as a player or the media is not even supposed to know that. But for now, for some reason now everybody knows when who claims who. But mm-hmm. um, anyways, I. Uh, I was like, ah, there's no way the Marlins are gonna let me go. You know, I'm, I'm starting to play better, and uh, I was, I didn't really have that great of a year up to that point, and I figured they were gonna um, keep me, and I was gonna go into the new stadium and help them rebuild that team. Didn't happen. It got claimed. They let me go, um, and I was, I was shocked, mm-hmm. and because I looked over and I'm like, I looked at the roster, and I, I mean, I'd played against the Giants that year, and I'm like, who, where am I gonna play? crowded outfield there was probably five or six guys already on the team that were fighting jockeying for positions and at bats and I was like man this is going to be tough and as soon as I got there uh, Brian Saban calls me in his office and he says Cody just want to let you know we did not claim you to block you we claimed you because we wanted you we wanted you on this team Um, whether he was Meant that? I mean, or, I know he wanted me. I'm, but yeah. I, I, in in my mind, I know he, they were claiming me at the same time. <laughs> I mean, uh, blocking me at the same time. So, anyways, um, he uh, just made it very clear that they wanted me, and you know, they were going to use me in the best possible um, way. And, anyways, just ended up uh, finding myself in the lineup, and um, you know, I guess the rest is history. I'm sure that uh, you can remember in great detail the home runs you hit in the the postseason that year, especially in the NLCS. And I I think the first one in the NLCS really kind of set the tone, didn't it? It did. You know, just because um, Holiday was coming off of a no-hitter against the Reds, he had thrown it. He had... We'd gone five innings up to that point without giving up a hit. So he had gone 14 straight innings without giving up a hit. And I came up to the plate and... Or maybe it was the third. I can't remember what inning it was, but anyways, it was he had, he hadn't given up a hit yet, and I hit a home run, and um, just as shocked as anybody in the stands and even my team, like just wow, that just happened as I'm running around the bases, and then came up my second time and did it again, and that was only the second hit he gave up that that game, and. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I tell people all the time that he is definitely one of the toughest. Actually, I, he is the toughest pitcher I have ever faced in my career. Um, I think he was the best pitcher of his era. And, um, you know, it's just a shame that we lost him so quick. It really is. And now he's on the Hall of Fame ballot. And I think he is a Hall of Famer because 
you're talking about a decade of dominance. That's a pretty good slice of time and the things he accomplished during that time. And the career stats are pretty good and maybe not up to what others did, but you know, that, that's one of the things you look for in the Hall of Fame is how dominant that guy was. And he was like one of the two or three on the top shelf most of the time. Yeah, he was. And I, I remember um, that year, actually, in 2010, when I was with the Marlins, he actually threw a perfect game against us. Mm-hmm. So he threw a perfect game, and then he actually threw a no-hitter in the playoffs, and which is, I mean, I can't tell you how hard that is. Uh, it's incredible. Um, but... Um, yeah, that was, uh, I think you're right. I think that really set the tone for um, the rest of the series. And, uh, you know, it just kind of showed um, the world and, and our fans and, and even ourselves, like, we're not going to back down. Even though, even if we got, they got the best pitcher in the game uh, on the mound, we're, we're going to come at you tooth and nail. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, listen, the only reason why we, those home runs even matter is because Lincecum threw an absolute gem against one of the best hitting teams in all of baseball. And if he doesn't, if he gives up five, six runs and I hit two home runs against Holiday, nobody remembers that. You know, I think the fact that he shut them down and he um, pitched as well as I've ever seen a guy pitch against one of the best pitchers, just that that's when we knew right there, all right, our number one against his number one, their number one, we're, you know, I think we're sitting all right. Well, I think that's one of the reasons fans loved him so much, and I'm sure teammates as well. There was no back down in him at all, uh, despite relatively diminutive size. He, yeah. he got everything he could out of that body for, for about nine or ten years. I, I still say, out of all the games I've seen in person, game one of the NLDS in 2010 against the Braves oh. when he struck out 14 was the most dominant performance I've seen in person. <clears throat> yeah, me too. I, I'm with you. A hundred percent. I mean, he came out and just absolutely dominated, and and that team was really good too. I mean, they had some really good hitters on that team, and um, you know, just they they could not figure him out, and he just 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 mowing them down left and right, and just an incredible uh, game, and just fun to be a part of. What we saw in 2010 was tremendous momentum your team developed. You don't always see that in the playoffs. Sometimes <clears throat> one game does not influence another. But I think with you guys in that year, it did. Uh, but there's like a building confidence all throughout, and especially uh, again, you took down the Phillies, and I felt like, yeah, you're definitely going to win uh, against the Rangers. And that was a pretty good poke right there. And then, uh, oh, blew out a tire at first base. He had two. He, and, and now we got a runner oh, got a caught run. at third here. We got live play-by-play action here at the Giants Fantasy Camp. But number 18 is going to take second, but uh, now he's out on the rundown. Uh, Poor guy. He actually hit a, had a nice shot there to the gap, and then oh, got a little excited, and the, the first base bag monster got him. Anyway, back to uh, 2010 and real baseball. Um, uh, you know, like I said, momentum was developed that year. And I think you had a you know a good mix there. You had some veteran players, but you also had some really talented young guys like Bumgarner and Lincecum was still young at the time. And I don't know if the veterans picked up the the young guys or vice versa. You know, I I say this a lot. You know, we had a, a really good group of veterans, and I, I wouldn't even really consider myself a veteran then because I was just um, I was a tweener. I was just I was uh, one year away from free agency, so I had about five years in at mm-hmm. that point and. Um, you know, I had guys like Pat Burrell and Aubrey Huff and, you know, just um, true leaders and Javi Lopez and I felt, anyways, there was just a great group of guys that um, 
that we could feed off of. And then you had the young kids with the Posies and Lincecums and, um, you know, the list goes on. And Wilson, Brian Wilson. So, like you said, we all just fed off each other. You know, the young guys brought a lot of energy and the old guys um, kind of reeled them in and uh, just kind of showed the way. I mean, uh, Pat was basically the glue of the team. He um, made everything, everybody feel um, comfortable and loosened everybody up. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when things could get extremely tight, um, he was right there to be able to tell us a joke and make it, <laughs> make it really funny. And next thing you know, we're out there and not caring what, what's going on, just playing the game and doing what we were capable of. But, um, you know, the, the, the nucleus of the team was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, obviously, we struggled a little bit offensively, um, but our pitching staff was absolutely incredible, and then the bullpen was lights out. That's, I mean, and I tell people in playoffs, baseball, if you can pitch and scrounge out a few runs, um, you know, although lately it's kind of been the other way. <laughs> it's been more run production than pitching, but... Um, doesn't mean that the pitching is any worse now. I mean, I think it's even better. But, yeah. uh, you know, these kids are just so much stronger and better now. But anyway, um, that that, uh, that team really came together and, and just just gelled together. Well, I think it's the, the one that's remembered most fondly by Giants fans because it is the first one. It was the first time in, well, 56 years that they had won, first time in San Francisco. So, uh, I mean, you probably felt that love in the parade especially. Oh. I've never seen anything and been a part of anything like that in my entire life. You know, um, uh, just the amount of people that showed up, the fans that were hanging off of the, you know, the street lights and the, I mean, it was on top of buildings. It was absolutely incredible. And I can't say thank you enough from the bottom of my heart to everyone that showed up for that. Not only that, but just for every game and just all the support that we got um, throughout the the whole time. It was nothing like I'll ever experience again and nothing like I've ever seen. Yeah, it really was a one of a kind thing. Well, it ended up being three of a kind, as it turns out. But you look at the team this year. I mean, obviously there's transition going on here. If you want to call it rebuild or whatever, uh, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot. But, you know, how do you think they get out of it? You know, that's a really good question. You're right. They're kind of in that tweener phase of um, you know, they're going to rebuild or try to go win. And, I, I mean, I think it's – you know, knowing Larry Bear and the new front office, it's it's win now and we'll figure it out later type mm-hmm. scenario. So, <clears throat> you know, um, they still have a really good group of guys, uh, veteran guys, which it's it's hard to think that um, as you could. I mean, it seems like they're really old, but they're actually still pretty young because they've been in the league for so long and done so many things like mm-hmm. Bumgarner and Posey and mm-hmm. Belt and. Um, Crawford and these guys I mean they have done so much and um, but they're all still relatively young and they're bringing up you know some younger kids um, that can that can really play so you know I look for them to to be competitive and and uh, you know play Giants baseball and and if you know they find themselves there and halfway through the season and at the all-star break or the trade deadline Mm -hmm. I know that they're going to go out and and try to find uh, some guys that can put them over the top. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see how it how it 
transpires and uh, looking forward to the season. We're going to see you up there a lot? You know, no, I, I, I don't think so. I'm, I, hopefully I can come out in spring training and, and be around, but uh, I don't think I'll be much in San Francisco. Maybe a few times. We'll see. Okay. All right. All right. Mostly Arizona? Yes. Well, yes. I, I don't blame you. I just bought a house here. Oh, man, it doesn't. I mean, this is the <laughs> best time of year. You know, maybe that's the thing about during the summer is it is nice to get out to San Francisco because I'm going to get out of 100 degrees and get to 65. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'll be up there a lot. All right. Well, it'll be good to see you again, and it's good to see you here, out here in Arizona for the Giants Fantasy Camp as a special right. guest, and uh, always great to catch up. Cody, thank you. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it, buddy. That's Cody Ross on Triple's Alley Report. And remember, in the 2010 postseason, Cody Ross was named the starting right fielder thanks to Jose Guillen being left off the roster after a package of HGH was intercepted as it was being shipped to his house. Along with being NLCS MVP in 2010, Ross hit a crucial home run in the deciding fourth game of the NLDS against the Braves. Hard to believe that was nine years ago now. Coming up, former Giants reliever and now Sacramento River Cats pitching coach Steve Klein, who has some very interesting things to say about some of the Giants' young arms. Okay, you've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites! 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, WGN America presents the new TV series Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel. But he finds himself way in over his head. And the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure. Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV Channel 307, Dish Channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. All right, we're at uh, Giants Fantasy Camp here at Scottsdale Stadium on a lovely day in January, as it usually is in Arizona, with Steve Klein, who is the pitching coach for the Sacramento River Cats, the Giants AAA club, and of course, Giants uh, former relief pitcher. Steve, how you doing? Good, good. It's nice to be here. You know, get out of Pennsylvania where I had like 17 inches of snow, oh, so man. I'm not complaining. Yeah, I saw it was uh, five degrees in New York, and I, I just feel like sending pictures to my relatives back there right now, sitting in the sun, like... <laughs> You know, suck it. <laughs> yeah, I think you. I think you should. I think you should. That'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, it's it's funny to come down here and see a lot of former players, and and you like you. There are probably several of them played with several teams, but they seem to gravitate back to this franchise for whatever reason. Why do you think that is? Just uh, the family atmosphere. You know, like we we have a uh, great tradition here from from the top down of the, of the players that they uh, have always been uh, great to, you know? Mm-hmm. You can go from the Willie Mazes to, to like the bottom of the barrel with me, you know? So it's perfect, <laughs> So they, but they treat everybody with respect and 
uh, you know, once a giant, always a giant type thing, you know. It's it's really true. I mean, I, like I said, I just talked to Cody Ross. And of course, his best memories are with the Giants and uh, NLCS MVP. But, I mean, you had some good times with the Giants, too. Yeah, I was there when Barry hit his home runs. And, yeah. I mean, we had a couple of chances to get in the playoffs. We kind of ran out of gas at the end. But, uh, you know, I got to see, like, you know, Timmy's, you know, and Matt Kane grow up and Brian Wilson come through and Kevin Correa and Jonathan Sanchez. So we saw some, we saw that team in the making and, you know, it's ended my career. And, you feel like you had a little part of that to help those guys become, uh, you know, major league professionals. Yeah, I always thought the 2009 season was real important because there had been a few off years and then they won 88 games. And it's like, okay, we're right on the doorstep. Yeah, they like I said, they, they built the pitching and they had great defense. And like I said, uh, timely hitting. I mean, they were the Giants were preaching that the whole way through the minor leagues there with that. You know, we I, I was lucky to be a coach right away. Brian Saves, you know, brought me over and, I was down in the lower levels, and we were winning at every level. And it was mm-hmm. like you knew that, you know, in a couple of years, these teams were gonna they're gonna mix and put something special together. And we didn't think three, but we'll take it. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, did you know you wanted to be a coach all along, or uh, was that something that just kind of came on late in your career? No, I kind of, uh, you know, I coached high school wrestling for 25 years back home, so it was always in my blood. So I kind of wanted the be a coach after I was done because you know I love baseball this game gave me everything so I thought why not give back to the, the game that gave me everything so and that's just the way that I was taught from my coaches and you know the Rigettis and the Gardeners that I had were uh, unbelievable and were, you know instrumental in my career you know and Fred Gladding and some old you know old timers back in the day so uh you know I can't complain. I love it, and I love being around the kids and seeing them, seeing them getting the dream of playing what I got to do for you know 11 years of my life. I have a Fred Gladding baseball card, just so you know. So it goes back. I, I remember him. So oh yeah, he was my first pitching coach. He was probably my most influential pitching coach really? in my career. Yeah, very simple. He was just grip it, rip it, and let's get at it and, mm-hmm. and compete like a you know like you compete like nobody else. It's all you, and that's. That was the approach he tried to teach in Stilia, you know? Well, is that kind of the approach you take with the guys in Sacramento, or is it uh, a little more individualized now? Yeah, it's getting a little, little different, you know? Everything, you're just trying to, you know, blend everything in together and try to, you know, I'm trying to show guys about old-school baseball with new technology in baseball. You try to blend them together. Mm-hmm. There's no, nothing bad about the old days. They didn't do it wrong. And there's nothing wrong with the new days that people always think there's like uh, this analytical stuff, but it works mm-hmm. when you put it together and it just kind of the eye test and the, the number test match. It's great because then you're both on the same page about the same player. And just you learn about kids quicker with, it, mm-hmm. with the technology and stuff. And see, now you can see it on film and, you, you know, like we didn't have it. it was in the old days, you just relied on yourself and your teammates. Right. And then your pitching coach, you know, and we only had I only had two coaches when you came up in the minor leagues with me. So. You know, you had the manager and the pitching guy. That was yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Now you got five or six on the staff down there at the lower levels. Yeah, you got, you know, you got a hitting, you got a fundamental coach, you got uh, analytical guys, you got uh, strength guys, you got trainers. You, I mean, everything. It's just game has changed, but it, it's a good thing. I mean, baseball needs it. And, you know, you have to roll with the punches in, in every sport. You don't want to get stagnant and still. And, mm-hmm. You can just keep moving on and learn, learn how the new kid uh, kind of operates in the game. But. Well, I, I love talking to Rigetti about pitching. Uh, yes. Could do it all day, and I'm sure you could too. And and I think he's a mix of that, and was a mix of that. And I, I think philosophy is more information is always good, but you're also dealing with human beings. Yeah, you got to know what 
I mean, you're going to talk to an 18-year-old kid from Dominican a little different than you're going to talk to a Vanderbilt grad. Mm-hmm. And you just have to know how to, to communicate and, and get to, to know. Like, uh, Willie Upshaw was our hitting guy for a couple of years, and he told me you got to learn how to talk to everybody and, you know, blend in and make, make yourself like a chameleon with everybody. And once you learn to do that, everything kind of came easy. The personality part was easy for me. Mm-hmm. I always had a good personality. I always want everybody to – to be better and strive to be and do better things and, and not cheat our game and respect it and play hard. Mm-hmm. And that's all I ask out of the kids. And then I can help you if you listen, but I, it, it's instilled in you. You have to learn how to do it yourself. So, so give me an idea of uh, some of the pitchers we got coming up uh, who've been in Sacramento in the last year or so. Uh, there's been a little bit of talk about uh, Sean Anderson and so forth. And uh, well, yeah, let's start with him and kind of get a rundown on a few of these guys. Uh, Sean's kind of—he's uh, the right-handed bum gardener. He's a mean, aggressive. Uh, doesn't take crap from anybody. Sob has a good slider. Good commands his fastball well. Has a good feel about pitching. So you, you, you know, I don't. He comes ready every day, and I don't for his bullpens to working out. He's he's regimented. He knows what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we have uh, you know hopefully Ray Black sticks up there in the big leagues with you guys a little bit and. Tyler Herb, I'm expecting a big thing out of Tyler Herb this year. I think he, last year he had a rib rib problem. He tore an oblique and kind of set his season back. He got knocked off the 40 of but he's a little bit hungry this year. He's going to be ready to come at it. And my big challenge is always with, you know, like the, the Osages, the Law, and, and the Oakers. You know, these guys are right on the, that fringe where they could all be great and or could really help the team. And they just, you know, they go up there and somehow they they, get, they just put a little too, uh, too much pressure on themselves or they don't – you know, compete like they should, and then they go back to a point and they look great, and it's like, what? And we're trying to figure out why is that, and what we can do to make that better, because mm-hmm. they're they all three have unbelievable stuff and could be really good pitchers. You know, is it a mental thing with that, or is it a physical thing, or both? I think it's a mental thing because yeah. you, you're trying so hard. You want to stay in the big leagues, and I think you put so much pressure on yourself. And this game's supposed to be able just to relax and play. And, and once you, you know, you kind of, you can't physically beat the game. You know, there's not a lot of players who are that great that were physically could beat it. It's more of the mental side that wears you out. And like I said, it's just the constant up and down, and, you know, you just feel like you're not part of the team. You feel like you are part of the team. You know, it's like, you know. And we always had good relievers up there, so it kind of mm-hmm. it's a stockpile. And you can only have, like, seven or eight guys up there at a time, you know. So it was unfortunate, you know. Like, I'm happy for Derek Rodriguez. I'm happy for uh, Suarez that I got to have last year a little bit. And they did some – they did some great things, you know, and I, I hope they open some eyes with Ty Block and Strat, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I was I was impressed. We have, I mean, the other guys that come up, I mean, Casey Kelly left, so I was a little upset about that because yeah. he, he was an awesome, awesome kid. He was one of those guys that, you know, and I had a guy named Manny Parr last year. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an old Sac Town guy. And, yeah, yeah. And Jordan Johnson's from Sac, and right. he'll be there with me this year again. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to him. I hope Tyler Beattie will be – uh, reform. I talked to him a lot this offseason. Kind of, he didn't have the year he wanted to, and he knew it. And he, I think he tried to push push on the gas pedal and go zero to two hundred instead of zero to one miles per hour for yeah. you know. And uh, you know he struggled early in the big leagues, and then he came back down and really never got back on track. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this year he comes back mentally prepared and and, and uh, a little. It's, it's it's okay to fail a little bit. Mm-hmm. It teaches and humbles you a little bit, so it'd be good for him. I think especially with the younger pitchers, that they've been up in the major leagues and they've done a few things and then they have some setbacks, you can go one of two ways, right? You can have your dauber down or you can come back even hungrier, hungrier than ever. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. you got to be able to make the adjustments, and that's where, like, next time you go up there, you don't make the same mistake again, you know? It's like anything in life. The more mistakes you keep making at the, your job, the 
the last chance you're going to be doing that job for long. So yeah. you try to explain to these guys, you have to recognize the mistake, make the little adjustment. Don't try to make major adjustments and just stay the course. Good days are going to happen and bad days are going to happen. Just hopefully a lot more good than bad. So tell me about Derek Rodriguez because that was the story, uh, the biggest story maybe for the Giants last year. And uh, somebody that maybe didn't expect to even be on the major league roster, he ends up you know, getting there and becoming their best starting pitcher for most of the season. He's got the pedigree, obviously. He's got a Hall of Fame dad, and he's a dad who is a catcher, so he understands the pitcher-catcher relationship, I think, better than a lot of young players do. But did you see this coming from him? Well, when we had him, uh, our scouts did a great job of picking him out of wherever he came from with the Twins, I believe, at the time. And just knowing the arm strength, because he never pitched. He played outfield, center field for the Twins in minor leagues. Yeah, right. So I, I commend our, our scouting department on that side. But when we got him, he was just a different breed. He just His fastball has just like that giddy-up that just takes off. And, you know, hitters are pitchers and, and you know, just want to have. And hitters are like, this is amazing. I, I go up and I'm about to hit it, and it just jumps on me. And, I, mm-hmm. and he, he did a great job last year. Now this year he has to come back with that same attitude and develop his other pitches. I think that's the key, right? And I think he talked about it, too. I chatted with him a little bit. It's about developing his repertoire a little more because you can't last too long with a limited repertoire in the major leagues. But uh, what he had was pretty good, though, for last year. Yeah, he had. A, I mean, he has uh, okay stuff. Like his curveball and slider and changeup are all pretty good. He, he has a good feel for them all. He can throw them all for strikes. It's just that... You know, you just have to be more consistent with the, uh, the off-speed pitches, which is the hardest thing to do in all of sport. That's why they're your second or third best pitches, you know. <laughs> yeah. So he just, you know, there's days you have to recognize when you have a good fastball and when you don't. And if you don't have a good fastball that day, you got to learn how to pitch with other stuff. And that's just the, the, the learning curve. So he's raw on the learning curve side, mm-hmm. but he's also above the curve because the pedigree he comes right. from. So right. there's two sides of that story. And he hits, so he, he understands how he hard hits. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, it was a long time he was an outfielder, and, and you know it came to pitching late. It's so he comes at it from a different perspective. The thing I liked about him last year is he didn't mess around. He just took the ball and threw. Yeah, he he knew like I, this is how you stay in the big leagues. You come up there, you, you get a chance, you, you have to take it. You don't, you might not ever get another one. So he went up there, and I say he took advantage of it, and you know dominated. It was it was fun to see, and you know I was hoping for you know get that little rookie of the year in there, but you know. Yeah. You know, there's some other rookies out there, too, so it was hard to compete against those guys. But he, he did. I think he uh, held his own and uh, he opened some eyes. Now I heard he's, you know, uh, you know, I talked to him. Obviously, he was working out and getting in better shape, taking it more serious. You know, like now you believe that you can be in a bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when it's the, the game becomes fun for you. We're chatting a few more minutes here with uh, former Giants uh, reliever Steve Klein, now the pitching coach of the Sacramento River Cats. Uh, tell me about Suarez because a little bit up and down, but um, you know this is this is somebody who I think can be at least a back of rotation starter for a while in the major leagues. Yeah, he's got some swinging, uh, stri- swinging, get out stuff. You know that slider he has is pretty good. You know that, he has an out pitch in the big leagues, which. You know, a lot of pitchers, yeah. the starters don't have. He's, but he can pitch, he can throw strikes, and he's not afraid to get hit. He don't care. He'll he'll give up 10 hits. If he can help the team pitch in six innings, he'll do it. I mean, he wants to win every game, and he takes pride in it. But you just kind of want him to uh, just be a little bit more consistent with where he's, you know, locating the pitches and, and reading the hitters. That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. I had him for two years, like I said, one year in, in double A, and – came back again to, to begin the double A the next year, and he was a totally different creature because he, he understood what he had to do. He remembers the hitters really well, and he makes adjustments. So 
you know, and he'll get to know Buster a little better as a catcher and Hunley, you know, like whoever's catching out this year. But, uh, you know, he'll he'll make adjustments and still throw strikes. And I just like his personality. He doesn't care. He's like, here it is. Let's go at it. I like the fact that, you know, he, he may be throwing 91, but he'll go up and in on a right-handed hitter. You know, he'll get up in his kitchen. He doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, he came from the University of Miami, Florida, so he, he came up. He had a good pedigree of pitching. Like I said, he's not he's not a, a shy kid. He will throw in there, and he will come in hard after you. And he knows that's part of his game, you know. And, uh, like I said, that sets up that good wipeout slider he has. If he, he gets in there, you, you got to honor him. Like I said, if he controls both sides of the plate, get, it's it's a different story because you can't you have to pick one side or the other because you lean out over the plate a little bit, he will come in there. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned another pitcher, Stratton, who got off to a great start and then kind of faded. And uh, What do you think was going on with him last year? Well, yeah, that baby, you know, like people think that it's not a big deal, but it is because it <laughs> it's the second one. It's not like the first one, you know, because you have the little one running around, you don't get sleep, kind of, you know, uh, throws you off your program a little bit. And, and then you come back out and you're kind of like living the life of how awesome it is of a kid. And you're like, oh, man, these guys don't care. They want to hit the ball. And <laughs> and then, you know, uh, he struggled. You know, he got into his ball cutting again a little bit and he was trying to straighten out his fastball. And, and you know, he has a good curveball and, you know, his off speed are great. So he just, he just, you know, he's built sometimes for like 20 games instead of 32 as a starter, I think, in, mm-hmm. in my personal opinion on him. But he, you know, but he when he's on it, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It's just... You know, and he, you know, like I said, he, they're they're flushed up there now. We we've been struggling just with starting pitching ever since you know, like the, you know, Lincoln's and the Kings are they're hard to live up to. And Bumgarner's, you know, these guys and Vogie, mm-hmm. so and Kevin Cray, you know, these guys all came up with great starters and just mm-hmm. so you have to live up to their you know mentality. It's a little different, you know. Well, you mentioned earlier about the, the minor league system ten years ago. They were winning, and so they were getting. They were getting that mentality. They were used to winning, expected to win. Uh, there hasn't been that success in the minor league system the last few years. Um, you know, it, it, you know, how much of a difference does that make with a guy coming up, or is it more about individual development? Well, no, you want to develop them, but winning is part of development. You got to learn how to win, and I think that uh, it was easy when we had Crawfords and panics down and blow and stuff like that, and guys, you know, and we were, you know, bomb, you know, Scott Barnes. We had some really good young talent. The guys, but then we start winning those World Series, and we start trading those boys off, other yeah. guys for, you know, parts of the pieces of the puzzle, the Cody Rosses and you know the Audrey Huff. So, it's part of it. But, you know, now we got to get back to what we did right, and I think Mr. Farhan is going to come in there and you know kind of change it back to the way it was, and you know, because Sabes showed a, like a, a good way of putting a piece together to show how we could win in the big leagues, and Farhan is going to take it the next step and throw in some stuff and uh, bring that mentality back of getting at it and win some games. Well, whether you want to call it a rebuild or reset or whatever, it's got to take the young talent, uh, you know, especially if you're way up there near the luxury tax, you got to develop that young talent in the lower levels and build that core like they did 10 years ago. Well, see, we thought we had, like, the young talent with the, the belt first and, you know, Crawford, Panic, you know, Sandoval or Duffy at third, and then, you know, we, we were always were looking for that outfielder. Yeah. You know, we were spending a lot of time searching for a left fielder type thing and, you know, and then Hunter was great, and, you know, and then, you know, he fell fell apart a little bit the last couple of years with injuries and stuff, and the younger kids really never went up there, and, you know, we, we had a rotation, the guys couldn't really do it, and uh, so you're always drafting that guy to try to put that that, that piece because you thought the other pieces were all good, and, and now I think the new scouting development system is going to come in and, and just go back to pitching and 
you know, good field baseball player type guys again. Mm-hmm. Instead of like certain areas where we're looking for, I think we're going to go back to trying to just get all the best players we can. And it's it, help us. It's weird because I mean it's been so long since they developed an outfielder, you know, that came up through the system and had success. I mean, maybe all the way back to Chili Davis for crying out loud, uh, and yet they've had s- such strength in other areas, um, and it's been a long time. Uh, is there talk about a young player coming up through the system now, like Ramos, somebody like that, who could kind of take that mantle and be a developed player in the outfield? Yeah, kid has, he has he has the tools. He's I think he has the Osio Puig tools, you know, he's got the, 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 the five-star stuff that you want to see, you know. I just want to see him be able to, you know, come in and just, you know, he he can't try to live up to somebody else. He has to be who he is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like Duggar, same thing. This kid can play. He just, you know, he got injured a little bit last year, but he was just starting to, to realize what it was like to be a big leaguer, the everyday battle, walking, you know, it's not always about getting the hits, it's about great defense, you know, scoring from second base on a base hit. We were struggling with all that kind of stuff last year, mm-hmm. you know, with our speed and stuff. And, you know, the youth movement, we needed a little bit, and hopefully it comes in and helps, you know. Uh, Duggar can solve two problems. I mean, center field and leadoff for them, and he was looking pretty good. That's a shame, you know, when he got hurt. He was starting to figure it out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he was – I mean, he – we, we we drafted a lot of guys that had potential, and like I said, you know, like they can hit for power, but, you know, the, the problem was they had to make contact with the ball. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you have you, you pick one or the other, and, you know. I always feared the guy as a pitcher. I always feared the guy that could just make contact because yeah. he always had a chance to hurt you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you swung and missed a lot, I, I never really cared to pitch to you. I was like, I can get you out. There's a lot of those guys around nowadays. Right, that's what I'm saying. You know, like you, you can really handicap some guys today. <laughs> they, they can't hit some off-speed pitches, but... Uh, like I said, they're all great talented. They all, all these players, and you know, they're the best in the world, man. Some of these guys have some unbelievable athletic ability. You know, I look at that Astro guy, that Springer kid. He, I mean, he's impressive. I saw him in, in minor leagues, and I was like, this kid was like a man among boys. You know, he looked like Bo Jackson back compared to everybody else. And, mm-hmm. I, I run into a lot of ex-players who say that the game's not like it used to be, and so forth. I think there's some truth to that as far as the grasp of the fundamentals and things like that. But, man, the athleticism and the talent right now, it's its off the charts compared to what it was. Yeah. You had some guys back then who were incredibly talented. Now it seems like just about everybody is. Yeah, it's just like it's like I think the savvy of the game was a little bit more. The players in the old days were a little bit sat more savvy, mm-hmm. and they could play every position. They could hit, they could throw, they could play short infield. Pitchers could play infield. They didn't just specialize stuff. Nowadays, you don't need to because they're already specialized. So, uh, but like you said, the talent levels they're, they're fed better. They're, they lift weights. They're knowing their bodies more. You know, and uh, you know you're not eating Snickers and drinking Coke anymore. You know, it's, you know now you have to eat. You know, salads and kale, and you know, trying to you're trying to get these high performance machines to work every day. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, every generation is the same. There's any you could take a guy from the old days and put him out today. They play with with these guys, and you could take some of these kids today and put them back in the old days, and they would maybe well play with them. So, once a baseball player, I was a baseball player in my book. You know, the young players now they're pushing them. Uh, they're talking about putting Barton Ramos maybe uh, high A in San Jose. Uh, you see a lot of guys pushed up to triple-A to see what they can do against some guys who've been in the major leagues. you think that's that's a good thing? Yeah, I mean, well, they're college kids. I mean, not Ramos, but uh, Bart was a college kid. So, you know, high A's where usually you send a kid after a college season, you know, especially 
he can play. He's a pretty legit player. Yeah. And then, you know, Ramos is a kid who came out of high school, uh, you know, or out of, you know, the Dominican and stuff. So he's going to be a little bit different, you know. They they mature a little slower than, than the, the American player in that process. Doesn't mean they're any, you know, worse thing. It's just that they... They have to feel comfortable a lot of times, a Latin kid, when they come over here. And once they feel it, find their comfortability, they, they, they start shining. And we got to find out, get them to go and do that. And I just want to have success at whatever levels they're at. And then, mm-hmm. you know, if they, they outbeat the level, they move up and keep going. So we're looking at some players here who are kind of living out their dream. What do you think about this fantasy camp deal? It's great. I mean, the guys all have fun. You know, my job is to take them out and have drinks with them at night. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I do that pretty well. That's, okay. uh, that's the only thing I really do good anymore on the baseball field. <laughs> but uh, the boys, the boys are having fun. They compete, and uh, like I said, you find out like you, you know you can't judge a book by its cover, you know. So, so it's fun to watch them. And I mean, you got some guys out here who can play a little bit. I like the guys with a boiler who can play or in line drives and gappers and shots. It's like like Crucker said, you know, I'm not an athlete, I'm a baseball player. So uh, <laughs> that's how it works, you know. We just tell people if you have, you know. You know, we're built for comfort, not speed. (laughs) Hey, Steve, it's great catching up with you, and good luck uh, once again this year, Sacramento, and hopefully we'll see a lot of the guys that you're tutoring up in the major leagues and having success. Thank you, sir. I hope to see you in Sacramento someday. Come on down. We will. My kids live up there. We'll definitely be up there for a couple games. That's Steve Klein, the pitching coach of the Sacramento River Cats, here on Triple Alley Report. And again, thanks to Steve Klein, thanks to Cody Ross, and special thanks to Bill Lasky for hosting us on our visit to Scottsdale for the Giants Fantasy Camp, not far from our new home in Arizona. And there will be more coming up from those visits on the next installment of Triple's Alley Reports.